Welcome to Poets and Writers, WEHC 90.7, coming to you from the beautiful Emory and Henry College campus. We have a wonderful guest for you today, Garland Lee Thompson, Jr. I am in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and I'm at the 2015 National Black Theater Festival, and I am telling you, there is great talent here, and it's rocking, and Garland Lee Thompson, Jr. is one of the prime movers and shakers around here. So, Garland, welcome to the show. Thanks, Henry. It's a pleasure to be here. As we like to ask around these mountains, where are you from? I'm originally from Los Angeles, California, by way of New York. I was born in Los Angeles, actually in Hollywood, and then uh, at 11 I moved to New York to live with my dad and be in theater, and I've been in the entertainment industry ever since. So you were born in Hollywood, California, and you went to New York to be with your dad. Correct. All right, now let's talk about Garland Lee Thompson Sr., because we had a big tribute here for him yesterday. It was from, it was actually a four-hour tribute, which was very impressive, and so many actors and so much talent there, and the great things uh, they had to say about him. So let's talk about Garland Lee Thompson Sr. All right. Tell us about him. Well, there's a lot to tell. It's almost hard to start. Um, he is the creator or the founder of the Reader's Theater of New York series, which I'm now the coordinator of here at the festival. And uh, even before that, he founded a company in New York City that is still in existence that I've now inherited, uh, the Frank Silvera Writers Workshop Foundation Incorporated. He founded it, co-founded it with Morgan Freeman, Billy Allen Henderson, and journalist uh, Clayton Riley. And Billy Allen Henderson, by the way, is an incredible actress and director. Uh, they found it in 1973 because he found himself, primarily because he found himself as a young black man in his 30s who had written a play and wanted to be a playwright, but had nowhere to really take his work. Um, at that time, there was no, really no, not a lot of places where people of color black and brown right, folks certainly. could yes. bring their stories, bring their plays, um, and have them heard, let alone produced. So they took matters into their own hand and got... And this, uh, we all know of Morgan Freeman. Yes. And who are some of the other ones? Billy Allen Henderson. Okay. And everybody can look her up online. She's done several movies, um, big, huge movies. Um, let's see. I want to say she was in one of the Matrix movies, but don't quote me on that. I could okay. be wrong. Uh, but movies of that type, of that size. She's done tons of television shows. She's been on Broadway. She's also directed. She is one of the finest directors that has that ever been around. Wonderful lady. And then journalist Clayton Riley, the late Clayton Riley, who um, had a radio show on one of the radio stations in New York, I believe it was WBAI, and uh, he was a journalist. He wrote for the New York Times and various other uh, Well, and so they got together there and they said, we got to do something. You know, we come out of Emory, Virginia, and just down the road is uh, the Barter Theater. And as a matter of fact, after my show will be the Barter Theater show. And, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. uh, some fellas, by the, one fellow by the name of Gregory Peck, you know, came out of there. And wow. different ones. And Barter mm -hmm. Theater, is, you had to bring some, um, you had to bring chickens or milk or something. And that's how I got to start in the, during the Depression. So it reminds uh -huh. me of something mm -hmm. similar to what your dad did in a roundabout way. It was people trying to find... Um, a, a job, an opportunity. So Morgan Freeman, so they get together, talk a little more about that. Well, they got together and decided to do a play reading series. And now, Dad was kind of the, the founder of the idea, and he, had, he wanted to name it after his mentor, the a great actor Frank Silvera. 
Frank Silvera, hardly anybody remembers him now, but Frank Silvera was a matinee idol in Hollywood in the 40s and 50s, and then later he was on television. He was a television star. He uh, starred in the film Viva Zapata. He played General, the evil General Huerta. He was on the TV show High Chaparral. Uh, he was the, the Mexican father. Um, he was in a number of other films that were very highly visible and recognizable. His twist, though, was very interesting. Frank Silvera was born in Jamaica. He was a mixed-race actor. He was black and white. But he identified heavily with his black side, yet he was a man, a black man, who never, ever played a black man. He played everything but. He played Spaniards, he played Portuguese, he played Brazilians, he played um, Mexicans, he played Italians, Greeks, he played everybody but a black man. And during the late 50s, he began to, he began a theater company called the Theater of Being. And his idea was, it was his contribution to the civil rights movement, and his idea was that this theater was a place where black folks, where black and brown folks could come and tell their real stories, tell what it's like to just be a black person or be a human being. Just to be, not to step and fetch it, not the chauffeur driver, not the limo driver, not the cook, not the maid, not the slave, you know, not all of that stuff that you get in the... Not in the stereotypical. Not the stereotypical right. yeah. images that you get fed by the culture and the media machine and all of that, but real. Who are these people really? Like mothers and fathers, stories about mothers and fathers and children and the difficulties that they have. A father is worried about his son and wants him to grow up and be strong and healthy, but he's worried because he's getting into trouble at school and he can't be there enough for him because he's working three jobs to pay the bills and his wife is having a hard time too. You know, these kinds of things that the culture at that point really had no, no room for. So your father named it for him. Yes. And, and your father, talk about his acting experience and what he did. I didn't know that he was on Star Trek. Talk some about some of the <laughs> things your father had done and was into. Yes. It, it, well, in 1957, uh, Dad moved to Los Angeles from Portland, Oregon. He gave up. He dropped out of college. Um, he wasn't. He wasn't happy with the fact that Grandma was a single. Grandma Thompson was a single woman who had raised them on her own and was paying for his working hard to pay for his college fees. And he he didn't want her to do that. So and he had a dream to go to Hollywood. So he decided to do it. So he dropped out and he moved out to Hollywood. I think he was about 19 years old. Well, wasn't he originally from Oklahoma? Originally or? from Oklahoma. Yes, he was born in Muskogee, Oklahoma. Our roots go back to Arkansas. Oklahoma and Louisiana. Grandma's from Louisiana. Grandma Thompson, Grandpa Thompson, uh, his father, my grandfather, is from Arkansas, Conway County. And um, Dad was born in Muskogee, Oklahoma, a little house on a hill. Some Indian heritage there? Yes, there is. There's definitely some Indian heritage. Cherokee. There's Cherokee Indian from my grandfather's side of the family. Uh, Grandfather was mixed. He had Cherokee in our blood. We have uh, have, a, I believe he is my great great or my great 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 grandfather um, 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 and why am I forgetting his name right now but he was a, he was a mixed he was a mixed race man part Native American part Cherokee who had settled in Conway County in in the 1800s and he was a constable and he was a doctor 
and he actually had got involved in a, in a, a little bit of a political murder scandal in that uh, a politician who was running, I believe a Democrat, uh, uh, no, a Republican at that time, had gotten shot and killed. And the people who were investigating it, I believe his colleagues, they hired the Pinkerton Detective Agency to investigate. The detective they sent was a young black man who happened to be a cousin of my grandfather's. Wow. Now, he located the, uh, now, this Pinkerton detective, my great-grandfather's cousin, uh, was shot and killed by the killer of the politician. Well, my grandfather, my great-great-grandfather came to town, and he heard about it, and he immediately went to work, and he found the killer, a young white man. He promptly arrested him because he was a constable. He took him to the sheriff's office and said, Sheriff, he's here. I'm arresting him for murder. Sheriff turned right around, uncuffed the, cuff link, uh, the handcuffs, and let him loose. Yeah. Right there in front of my grandfather, my great-great-grandfather. But great-great-grandpa, he didn't let it go. He got onto a train, and he went up to the state capitol, and he met with the governor, and he reported what happened to the governor. And then after that, he went back home, and he was out of the case. But it was a pretty intense time. Persistence, survival, yep. overcoming, being challenged yep. in life. Yep, yep, and a very respected man in the community, mm -hmm. very respected man. At the, the same time, keeping that human dignity about yourself. Mm -hmm. That's right, that's right. And I believe he was also a medicine man as well. Okay, so, and he was your great-great-grandfather. Yes. Now, so your, your dad, we're talking about Garland Lee Thompson Sr. today, mm -hmm. with Garland Lee Thompson Jr., about his father, so he goes from there, he grows up in Oklahoma, then goes on out to Portland, Oregon? Yes, about uh, 10 or, at age 10 or 11, he moved to, with the whole family, he moved to Portland, Oregon. Uh, my grandfather, my grandmother at the time, had a very successful restaurant in, in Muskogee called Homey Foods. Homey Foods. Homey Foods. And I'm told her fried chicken was legendary in the county. People came from everywhere to have her fried chicken. And in fact, Dad was actually a little bit of a celebrity because his mom owned the restaurant, and all the kids used to come and eat and hang out at the restaurant after school. So, um, But Grandfather had left the family, and he had moved up to Portland, Oregon in search of work. Uh, and had landed a job with the shipyards okay. up there in Portland. And at the time, the company that owned the shipyards, they had built a little town called Vanport to house all the shipyard workers. And this was a little town built on the banks of the Columbia River. It was outside of Portland, Oregon, so folks in Portland didn't have to deal with them. And so all the workers worked there. Well, a night or so, he convinced Grandma and Grandma Thompson to bring to all the kids on. to come on up. To and how up. many children were there? There were uh, four children. Four children. Four so children at that time, ranging in age from my father, the youngest, being about 10 years old, to uh, his sister, my uh, his oldest sister, being uh, probably about 19 or 20. So, and then, so moving along here, so then he goes to college in, in Portland. In there Portland, in, he, uh, actually in Eugene, he went to the um, Port, uh, University of Oregon. No, well, I attended there too. Mm -hmm. You know, so, went, so your dad goes to the University of Oregon. I did not know that. He goes to the University of Oregon, and uh, he goes there until I believe it was his uh, sophomore junior year, and then he decides to drop out and move to Los Angeles to. Uh, work in the in Hollywood in the entertainment business as an as an actor and a dancer, okay. um, which was 
probably not the smartest idea at the time for a young black man uh, because we're talking 1957. Wow. You know, if you're talking about yes. one day you want to have a family and be able to feed the kids exactly. and, you know, not live on the street, mm. then that wasn't the smartest of ideas, but that was his what dream. He, that's his what dream. he wanted. That was his dream, and he set his mind to it, and that's what he did. And he moved there in 1957. He promptly met uh, um, the late great actor Al Friedman Jr., and they became fast friends, and they ended up becoming roommates. So they lived together for a couple of years, and Dad found work at, at a coffee house. He was a barista for, for, for a while, for a few years, and then he worked at a liquor store, and he did little odd jobs and still find, until finally he just started working in the industry. Um, he found theater, and he started working in theaters, and he found he was a really good stage manager. Very highly organized, very personable, mm. could communicate with everybody, was very charming, but also could put his foot down and everybody knew you don't mess with him. So he had that perfect combination to be a stage manager um, that you need. So he became that and that's how he ended up working with, with Frank Silvera and his theater company. He also, I should say, worked with Ray Bradbury and, oh, yeah. and produced and, and stage managed a few of his plays that were produced in Los Angeles at the time in the 1960s. Ray Bradbury? Ray Bradbury, who he counts as one of his mentors. Isn't that interesting? Who Ray Bradbury encouraged him to write. He showed some of his early writing, uh, uh, his early scenes that he'd been writing, he showed them to Ray, and Ray encouraged him very mightily, encouraged him to keep writing and to keep going forward. That and is so interesting. So then he gets from, so there he's in Hollywood doing stage managing, and then he some way talks him, he gets to New York he, he gets well, into acting and well it's uh, he had been acting that's what he started okay. off with acting and dancing then he transitioned more he began to be more of a stage manager although he still did do some acting but it began more stage manager and in the course of a stage manager he got hired um, uh, well he met uh, the producer Woody King Jr. in Los Angeles uh, our legendary producer here and um, Woody introduced him to uh, to another producer um, Ashton Springer, and uh, who was producing a play called No Place to Be Somebody by Charles Gordon. And that play, it's a big distinction, it's a great play, very intense play, very intense, powerful drama that takes place in Hell's Kitchen in New York, in a bar, kind of a seedy bar in Hell's Kitchen, and all these various characters who have dreams of living a better life, um, who are trying to get to that better life, but who in reality probably will never, ever get to that better life. Um, the broken down drummer who sweeps the bar, um, the hookers who come in and hang out there, the bar owner, Johnny, who's trying to scam these mafia dudes, these mob guys, so he can get enough money to go somewhere else. It's also noted because it's the first play by a black author, black playwright, to win the Pulitzer Prize for drama. Wow. In 1971. Wow. So Dad got hired on a bus and truck tour that was going to New York, and he ended up stage managing the Broadway production of the show and directing a couple of bus and truck tours of it. And that's what brought him to New York. So he gets to New York, and during that time, he has been doing some acting. And I, I you know, for our listeners out there, and this is Henry McCarthy, WEHC 90.7, Poets and Writers, coming to you from the beautiful Emory and Henry College campus. You know, at some point, he gets on Char Star Trek, and at the tribute, at the ceremony yesterday, the one lady got up and said, you know, this was the first black man. She became a fan of Star Trek because she saw no black people on TV. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. I don't mean to skip ahead too far, but... No, I'm glad you brought that up because I realized we threw that out there earlier and kind of, kind of yeah. did it, and so I wanted to get back to it. No, you're absolutely right. He... 
he got to know, uh, he met Gene Robin, Roddenberry when he was acting, and he actually got cast in a series, an early series that Gene Roddenberry had produced called The Lieutenant. So he got cast in a small part on that, but through the course of that, he was able to get to know Gene Roddenberry. Things were a lot more personable. There weren't so many layers, exactly. you know, exactly. that there are yes. now. Mm-hmm. But so he was able to get to know Gene, and so they, they kind of became friendly, and they talked, and Gene encouraged him. And then when Star Trek came up, um, I guess it was either Gene called him or he heard through the grapevine, and so I think it actually might have been even Gene did call him. Uh, so he went in and he auditioned, and they cast him in an episode. Uh, he actually shot two episodes. The first one was The Enemy Within, which is the fifth episode of the first season of the original series, and then he shot another episode called Charlie X. Um, both of those have been very popular with the first one, The Enemy Within, being one of the top ten, I believe it is, all-time favorite episodes of Star Trek fans, the original series. Um, and he just, by the luck of the draw, happened to be in it. He was transporter operator, transporter technician Ensign Wilson. He uh, st- he beamed Captain Kirk up next to standing right next to Scotty. Um, he worked with Scotty on the transporter because it was malfunctioning in the episode. Um, it the transporter has a malfunction because of some ore on a crewman's clothes that came up through the transporter, and so it splits Captain Kirk into two halves, his evil half and his good half, and then the rest of the episode we have to try and get him back together again. So, but my dad was the transporter operator who beamed him up, and uh, he had a fight scene with William Shatner. There's a scene in it where the evil Captain Kirk is there's an APB out on the ship for him. Well, your you fans know. are going to have to go back. Your fans of yeah, Star Trek are going to have to go back and, and watch that. Yeah, I don't want to get lost They were the talking, but no, that's a fascinating part, but mm-hmm. his life what I got from the tribute was his contribution. We're talking about Garland Lee Thompson Sr., and I'm here with Garland Lee Thompson Jr. in Winston-Salem at the Marriott at the National Black Theater Festival, which is a fantastic festival. If you folks have not had a chance to ever attend it, you will be greeted with such uh, love, if you will, and acceptance. It's just a tremendous show, uh, a tremendous festival, and it's to give people an opportunity. Now, talk over me here, Garland, because mm-hmm. people have to. I'm a big okay. talker. So <laughs> so here you have this tribute. He died mm-hmm. in November, didn't November 18th, 2014, he died. So you were planning a tribute in his honor. Originally, uh, uh, my coordinator for this, Aduke Arimu, who is a, a, a woman out of a lovely woman, a playwright and an actor herself and an activist and a fundraiser out of Atlanta, and an old friend of my father's, um, originally two years ago, uh, Dad was in the festival in 2013. He, he was starting to look kind of frail, and folks were starting to ask and be worried about him. So Aduke approached me and said, you know what, we need to kind of honor him while he's still here with us. So let's do this. Let's do a celebrity roast. Let's roast him. Yeah, and you did some of his plays and some of this his... This year, yeah, yeah, this year. Now, how it started originally was to be a celebrity roast, but when okay. he passed away exactly. in November, exactly. it switched into becoming a tribute. Mm-hmm. And this was actually the third and final of three tributes that we did to him. Uh, we did two in February on the same day. We did. We started off at the church he attended in Harlem, St. James Presbyterian Church, 
that he attended for several years. So we had a, a ceremony there, service there, which was packed. The place there must have been three or four hundred people. There. The whole church was packed. We had celebrities. We had well, well, everybody actors. knew him there, and he had been so helpful yes. to other people. Yes, and he had, and the church had adopted him, so he had a big church family. So we said, okay, he's got several families. So we'll do it. We'll we'll do a tribute, and for the for the church families, so we'll do that at the church because, and it also is kind of they had offered, and then we got offered another venue. So all of a sudden we had two venues for memorial. So we said, oh, okay. So we said, all right, we'll do this. We'll do. Act one will be at the church. Act two will be downtown in New York at the theater for the new theater for a new city, which is a theater company uh, that my father had collaborated with on a number of productions over the years. And they offered the, they are fantastic people, by the way. Support theater for a new city in New York City. When you go there, buy a ticket, see a show. They're wonderful people. Um, they gave their venue for free. They gave their venue to us for free for for an afternoon, for a Saturday afternoon. So in the morning we went to the church, then that afternoon from 2 o'clock till about 7 o'clock, we had a memorial at Theater for the New City. And that was a series of snippets of plays that had been read over the years at his workshop and here at the festival as well as singers, uh, poets. Uh, we had a Native American dancer, right. Rainmaker, who came down and did a wonderful blessing in Native dance to sure. honor his heritage. Well, now I want to uh, talk a little bit. I know he, he was invited down here to set this up, and what he was interested in, again, was getting new people, getting new ideas, getting... Yes. The underdog, so to, so to speak, an opportunity is that not right? Yeah, no, that's yeah. that's a pretty good um, way to put it. He uh, he was always about the work. This is the one thing everybody yeah. always agrees on. Say what you will about him, he was always about the work, and the craft, the, the craft, work. the work. He always said, and this is something I firmly believe too: if it's not on the page, it's not, not on, on the stage. stage. So you you got to focus and you got to put the time in and you, you got to pay your dues. dues and, yes, and, you have to be a master craftsman with your piece of work, your play, bef be before it can do anything in the world. Well, well, I heard one of the actors here say yesterday, and it may have been in the uh, in the tribute, but it, they said, "I don't compete with others; I compete with myself." And I think that's a, a, mm -hmm. a tremendous thing for all of us to keep in mind when you're worrying about everybody else. How would you describe your father in terms of personality? Driven? Uh, Definitely driven. Uh, driven, very charming. Um, he brooked no fools. Uh, he was, he could talk your ear off. Um, he was very serious. And when he put his foot down and he made up his mind about something, there was no change in it. No, the. Uh, Horses, wild horses, tornadoes, nothing could change it. Well, you, um, you know, Garland, one mm -hmm. of the things I'm impressed with, because I have a son and a namesake who's a junior, mm -hmm. and he hasn't chosen to follow my path. We, we, would, we thought, well, you'd make a good actor, but he chose to go the other route. Now, mm -hmm. you've chosen not necessarily to follow in your father's footsteps, to be influenced and, and be mentored by him, right, in, at times? Or, yes. Or, yeah. Well, he, yeah, well, in his own way, he... He wasn't your classic textbook Ward Cleaver kind of father. Right. We never, we never played baseball together or football together. We didn't do things like that. We went camping. Yeah. He took me to the theater with him when he went to rehearsals. So I got to 
be so you got to be around all these famous people yep, he, too. I yes. mean, you were you were exposed. I know the the actors that came here for the tribute is very impressive. Yes, yes. That in the times there is we we spent a good portion of our lives apart and when I was a child we mm-hmm. spent it because he was on the road I lived when he was in New York he couldn't really afford to Understand. have me there yeah. so instead of starving and making the stress he kept me in a uh, with some a Mexican couple an older Mexican couple made an arrangement for me to live with them until I was old enough and he where was, was this where was uh, this was in Highland Park California okay so he, then and he was in New York he was in New York and, and, he, and he was originally yeah. living in Hollywood and working in Hollywood, and then he moved to New York, and I stayed there until I was 11 years old, and we made a deal that I could come and live with him, but only if I carried my own weight. Well, and I, <laughs> I have to say, and I wanted to get that out, you know, I, I was talking to Marlon Brando's daughter not too long ago, and mm-hmm. she was saying, look, I had to understand, I love my dad. He was an artist. You know, yes. And you have to, folks, have to understand that. That's exactly. You, know? you know what? She's exactly right. Just like her father was an incredible artist, my father was an incredible artist as well. And he could be very eccentric. There are plenty of people that said that thought he was pretty weird. <laughs> um, he was pretty focused on what he was focused on, and he was pretty serious about it. Um, so, but he was an artist, absolutely. We're talking with Garland Lee Thompson Jr. I want to get this in now. We want to talk a little bit about your future and your plans. And I have to say, your acting ability, folks out there, do uh, you get a chance to see Garland Lee Thompson Jr. act? I mean, wow, that was there to tribute. And uh, so, talk a little bit about yourself now. Wow. Well, um, I mean, I don't know. I've been I've been living in Monterey, California for the last 25 years or so. I am an actor. I've done tons of Shakespeare. Um, I've done Moliere. I've done Shaw. I've been running a po- I'm also a poet, and I've been running a poetry slam and an open mic in Monterey, California for the last 12 years, which is still going on. And um, I uh, am a director. I have been a producer. Um, I am a playwright. I've produced and uh, self-produced and written my own one-man show that I produced a number of times over the years. Um, I uh, I've been working for the Salinas Public Library. In and you Salinas, got a project California. very quickly, a, a poetry project. Yes, one. one of the exciting projects. I just got an email about it today. As a matter of fact, is the Salinas California Youth. Poet Laureate contest. I love it. I love it. And as many cities have uh, poet laureates, and many states have poet laureates, and the United States has a poet laureate, which, by the way, shameless plug, he's a good friend of mine, Juan Felipe Herrera, the new United States poet laureate. Wow, that's impressive. Um, We created, I created with my former library director, Elizabeth Martinez, with her blessings, I created the first Salinas Youth Poet Laureate contest. So in a poetry slam style contest with the the then California State Poet Laureate, Juan Felipe Herrera, who's now the U.S. Poet Laureate, our city attorney and some others. Uh, we did a competition. We picked the first Youth Poet Laureate. And you a, also work with the library out there doing video? Yes, I work with the library. I'm a film editor, video editor for yeah. the library. I've been uh, documenting historical stories from the city for, for wow. many years now. And they go up on YouTube uh, so people can see them and find out about Salinas. So I do that. And I'm also the Monterey County Poetry Out Loud coordinator. I brought the program to the county about six, seven years ago, six years ago. And in the last six years, Three of of those years, we've had California state winners. Well, you hear that out there in Abingdon, Virginia, you know, because uh, we have been working with that some over the years, and that's very impressive. Well, we've been talking on Poets and Writers today with Garland Lee Thompson, Jr., and primarily about his father, but Garland Lee Thompson, Jr., is carrying on in his footsteps, and as I say, we're in 
at the Marriott Hotel in Winston-Salem, North Carolina today. And thank you. It's always a pleasure seeing and knowing you. It's an honor for me and the work that you do. So thank you for being on Poets and Writers today, Garland. Always a pleasure to talk with you, Henry. This is Henry McCarthy saying, do not wait up for me. Do not be afraid to stay or still away. I'm going out to write a poem and watch the children play.